Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Here we are again. Before I get started, I got to tell you a few things. One of them is what we're doing is legal. Uh, last week told you that we needed to be compliant and then didn't know how that was going to work for us here, uh, recording messages, but Tim made a call and I got a subsequent email this week. So we're all set, even though church may not be essential in some ways. Uh, what we're doing is fine and covered and it's up to our discretion to decide whether we want to record and, and stream or broadcast messages, which we do. So praise the Lord, we'll be doing this for as long as we need to do it. Second thing is that I'm not sure who to thank, and I can't, I can't show you what I'm looking at, but I can describe it. Somebody came into the church and took some paper plates and flipped them over and drew faces on them and then taped them to the seats. Now, not, not 150 of them, but, and that's why it's not accurate, because the front row is filled. The front row is never filled with back row Baptists. But I'm grateful now I actually have, you know, some people to preach to. I'm also thankful for the ratio here, because one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, out of 16 faces, 15 of them are smiling. Only one is cranky pants over there. And uh, there are no names ascribed. And uh, there's nobody asleep. So that's a good thing. Uh, third thing I want to say before we get started is simply uh, Happy Easter. Happy Easter to you. I am sure it seems pretty strange to, um, to be celebrating Easter alone or to be with a small group of trusted friends or family. It's been our habit for as long as most of us can remember to gather on a day like Easter together in sometimes the largest crowd of the year in worship and sing together these songs of victory and songs of triumph. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, lives forever with his reign. Or we would be singing, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, he is mine, bought with a precious blood. Christ, for our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross, darkness rejoiced as though heaven lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand, that's when death was arrested, and my life began. It seems strange to be celebrating Easter without these joyful corporate declarations of Christ's victory over death, so I think what we should do when this sickness passes, I think what we should do is we should have an Easter service then. And that way we can get together and we can sing these songs. We won't have to, to worry that we have missed them. And you can still dress up in your Easter outfit. So the blue leisure suit that you bought for Easter will not go to waste. And... You can, uh, if your family's anything like mine, uh, you can gather for an Easter dinner. And if your family's nothing like mine and they don't want to do that, then you just come, 
come with me, because we're all family anyway, and we'll have an Easter dinner together. That's what I think that we should do. And when we do that, uh, Lord willing, on that day, I will preach an Easter sermon. And today, what I'd like to do is just offer a few pastoral thoughts about this Easter time. The first thought I want to share with you is I just want to encourage you this morning not to grieve the loss of Easter. Uh, in saying that, I'm not trying to minimize the sting of isolation. I'm not trying to pretend that our usual holiday celebrations, our getting together for corporate worship, uh, aren't important. They are important. It hurts to miss uh, them, and something would be wrong with us if we didn't miss them at this time. But my point is that we needn't grieve the loss of Easter because Easter actually isn't lost. What is different is the way that we are celebrating Easter this year. That's what's different. We know that Christmas is not about presents and decorations and Hallmark movies, and neither is Easter then about bunnies and candy and lilies and ham dinner. These are ways that we celebrate. They're fun and they're good, but they are not what we celebrate. What we celebrate at Easter time, is the fact that Christ is raised from the dead, that he is risen, and the reality of his resurrection from the dead, it remains our hope no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. Today we celebrate the truth that Jesus has conquered death, and because he lives, all who believe in him have conquered death as well. Romans chapter 6, verse 5, Paul writes, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So my friends, we needn't be grieving the loss of Easter because Easter is not lost. And Lord willing, we're going to have an opportunity, I hope it's in the near future, to celebrate Easter together which might cause some of you to wonder, can you do that? <laughs> is there a rule against that? Is this permissible? Isn't Easter like a day? And of course, you do know that Easter skips all around the calendar, right? Every year it's different. Sometimes it's early, sometimes it's late. That's important to keep in mind. But there's a more important truth, and this is my second point, is that Easter isn't just a day. It's a lifestyle. Easter is a lifestyle. As Christians, we can and we do celebrate Easter every single day. Now, if that doesn't make sense to you, if that's a, too much of a stretch, just consider uh, what we do as Americans. When do we celebrate our independence? We choose to celebrate that on a given day, on July 4th. But the rest of the year, we live in relative freedom. We enjoy that the whole year. We celebrate one day what we live every day, and so it is with Easter, that we choose a day to celebrate what is our reality as Christians every single day. And that reality is this, that we serve a risen Savior who has defeated sin and death and whoever lives and pleads for us. So every day, Christians live in this truth. And in the good company of the Apostle Paul, we strive, as he said, to know the power of Christ's resurrection. What is the power of Christ's resurrection? One commentary puts it like this. 
It is the wide-reaching and conquering force and efficacy which renders death inert. Inert means lacking in ability or lacking the strength to move. That it is the power of the resurrection that renders death ultimately powerless. It is the power of the resurrection that allows Paul to ask in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where, O death, is thy victory? And where, O death, is thy sting? I know the power of Jesus' resurrection is not to pretend that death and loss do not cause a degree of sorrow for us in the here and now, but it is to affirm that that sorrow which we experience in death and because of death is absolutely short-lived. Every parting among believers we understand to be a temporary goodbye. We further understand that as believers we'll have an eternity. Forget it. In Christ, death doesn't get the final word. Jesus has the final word. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even if he dies. Living in the knowledge of the power of Christ's resurrection then is living in the assurance that one day for all believers, all pain, all suffering will forever be a thing of the past. Someday, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our corruptible bodies will be raised incorruptible. Someday, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our bodies, which are sown in dishonor, will be raised in honor. Someday, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our bodies, which are mortal, will put on immortality. Someday, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our bodies, which are perishable, will become imperishable. And why does that matter to us? Because understanding this and believing this, receiving this, being sure of this coming someday allows me, allows you to live this day and every day in confidence, in faith, and without fear. Psalm 56 verse 11 says, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? That's the sort of faith, and I'm sure by now you've seen this uh, posted on Facebook. It's been shared a lot. These accounts and quotes of, of um, people like Martin Luther who chose to stay and minister to the sick in Wittenberg during the time of the bubonic plague, or people like the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, who in the midst of a great cholera outbreak in one of his sermons said this, the cholera may come again next summer. I pray God it may not, but if it does, it matters not to me. I will toil and visit the sick by night and by day until I drop. And if it takes me, sudden death, sudden glory. Being unafraid to die is part and parcel of being able to truly live. And as Christians, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we are not afraid to die. Now, don't misunderstand me. We aren't rushing to die. We aren't trying to die. We are meant to live. We're wired to survive. We ought to. And faith is not a license to be reckless. Faith is, is not an excuse to be stupid. 
it, it is not a reason for us to disregard or fail to protect the, the body that God has given us, which has been purchased by the blood of Christ, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is how we minister to God and for God. We have to take care of ourselves. So faith doesn't mean that we stop doing that or that we disregard these good instructions that we've been given for our own health and well-being and the well-being of others. But faith is just simply the absence of fear, the courage to obey, to do the right thing because it's the right thing and because God says so. See, for Christians, fear is displaced by trust. Trust takes the place of fear. We trust God. And just as I said last last time that cheerfulness and thankfulness um, can set us apart in a time of pandemic, so can fearlessness. So can our faith that, that manifests in fearlessness. And it's not just about this idea that we, that we aren't afraid to die. We can all say that, but until, until death knocks on our door, uh, how are we going to prove it? We can sound big and tough and be full of bravado and, and maybe wilt. I don't think that we would. But I'm talking about not being fearful about anything, period. That our faith reminds us, so, so does a songwriter, right? That we, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we certainly know who holds tomorrow. That our God is in control. That everything is in his hands. Today you and I live in the middle of a lot of speculation. I'm sure you've noticed it. Maybe you even have to turn the television off or stop reading at some point because there's so much of it. What if this happens? What if that happens? What about this and what about that? And if you've been, if you've been keeping your eye on the stock market, Lord help you because it's up and it's down and it's up and it's down and, it, and it, it doesn't, stuff doesn't mean a lot to me, but I just, I do read every day and I say, it's up, oh good, it's down, well, it's too bad, it's up. That's our life right now. It's full of speculation. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And that can make us anxious. That can make us nervous. And so Jesus has a word for us, doesn't he? I'm sure you're familiar with it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. He tells us, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Don't worry about it. But tomorrow will be anxious for itself, he says. In other words, don't be borrowing trouble. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, Jesus said. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't borrow any trouble. Make it through today, one day at a time. Trusting and believing and leaning into him. So Jesus can say that, don't be anxious. And we would ask, how is that even possible? Is it possible for us not to be worried about things. And I want to tell you that I think it is possible. It is possible when above and beyond our own desires, you and I as Christians are intent on seeking and living out the rule and reign of God in this world. When our greatest desire is to glorify him with our lives, when we understand that everything we say and everything we do and everything we post is a reflection of our great and awesome God and we want to shine the light on him for his goodness and for his greatness. When our mind is set on his kingdom, then yes, the anxiety melts away and the worry goes away. Jesus taught us to 
pray, didn't he? And we recite this together with some regularity. We, we pray this prayer to our Father in heaven. Thy will be done. And we trust him. Don't we trust his will? And don't we want his will to be done? I would suggest that these are good times to become reacquainted with the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to pick up your Bible at some point during the week and read through Matthew's uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7, I think you'll be blessed by those words of assurance from our Savior. And we might also want to keep in mind another passage of Scripture uh, as we face all this uncertainty. It's a promise that we find in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. It's a word from Paul to the Philippians. And this Philippian church, which had been consistently generous to Paul in his missionary endeavors, in the Lord's work. So Paul says to them, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every time. What are you worried about? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Speaking of this, I reached out this week to a couple of our missionaries in the Dominican Republic. I reached out to Tanis and Esther in Las Colinas in the San Pedro area, and I reached out to Ketley and Vitel Pierre, who uh, are focusing in on the La Romana area, which is another area that we have a significant investment in there in the Dominican Republic. Both of those areas have been particularly hard hit with the coronavirus. And as you might expect, the death rate of the coronavirus in the Dominican Republic is higher than it is here in the United States. They don't have the care that we do. They don't have the, probably the, even the ability to test and things like that. So there's obviously, there's a clear need there. Our friends, our brothers and sisters in ministry are in a hot spot in the Dominican Republic. So I, I just reached out to them to see how they were doing, to see if they were healthy, and further to ask if there was anything that we could do for them. I reached out to them to see if there's anything we could do for them. Because, beloved, this is not the time. This may be the tendency, but this is not the time for we as Christians to, uh, to look in on, our, on ourselves and begin hoarding things for ourselves and begin being worried about whether or not we have enough. This is the time for us to be like that Philippian church, to be consistently and continuously generous. As the Lord blesses us, we need to bless others. And we've got to trust that as we reach out in ministry to people like that in places of need, that the Lord will, in fact, supply our needs. Now, that's true of us as a church. That's how we want to continue to be generous people in giving so we can keep ministering in the midst of this crisis. That's true of you in your home. And some of you have had some interesting experiences through this. You're not working. The money's slowing down. I understand that, and I want to encourage you to continue to be looking outward to how you can help and trust that God is going to provide all that you need. If you're generous with what he gives you, if you're faithful with a little bit that he gives you, he, he's, going to take, he's going to give you more. That's the parable of the talents. Mike's going to preach about that prayerfully here in, uh, in a few weeks. So anyway, uh, speaking of the death rate that's high in the Dominican Republic and, and higher than any of us want it to be, I think it would be helpful if you and I could keep in mind this thought, that we live in very unusual times in that the prospect of death is in the minds of people everywhere. 
not something that we usually like to talk about. It's not something that we acknowledge, but it's in the minds of people everywhere. Francis Grimke was a Presbyterian minister in Washington, D.C. during the Spanish flu, 1918-1919. And he was ministering in the city. Uh, during that time, his church was closed, as all the churches were closed for a season. And when his church reopened, he preached a sermon in response to what the city and what the people of the city had just endured. And, and this is what he said in his seventh point. Seven points. Long sermon. He says, there is another thing connected with this epidemic that is also worthy of note. While it lasted, it kept the thought of death and of eternity constantly before the people. As the papers came out day after day, among the first things that everyone looked for or asked about was as to the number of deaths. Now, this sounds very familiar, doesn't it? So we've been through, the people have been through this already. And so the thought of death was never allowed to stay very long out of the consciousness of the living. And with the thought of death, the great thought also of eternity, for it is through death that the gates of eternity swing open. We don't, as a general thing, think very much about either death or eternity. They are not pleasant things to think about, and so we avoid thinking of them as much as possible. It's only when we are forced to that we give them any consideration, and even then, only for the moment. They are both subjects of vital importance, however, involving the most momentous consequences, for after death is always the judgment. The grim messenger is God's summons to us to render up our account that there is an account to be rendered up we are inclined to lose sight of, to forget. But it is to be rendered all the same. The books are to be opened, and we are to be judged out of the books. During the weeks of this epidemic, in the long list of deaths, in the large number of new-made graves, in the unusual number of funeral processions along our streets, God has been reminding us of this account, which we must soon render up. He has been projecting before us in a way to startle us the thought of eternity. If that same thought is true in our day, and it seems to be, let me offer one final thought now. That when people are thinking about death and eternity, when they are thinking of spiritual things, now is the time to talk with them about Jesus. If there is another fear to put off, it would be the fear of man. It would be the fear of being offensive with the gospel. It would be the fear of, of being over the top or imposing, you know, the things that keep us from sharing the truth about Jesus. The gospel is good news, right? Not coincidentally good news to dying men. The risk worth taking, wrote one author recently, is one that is bold enough to confront the spiritual and eternal danger others are already in. I know the mortality rate of, of the coronavirus here is around 2% in our state, and estimated at over 3%, I think, in the world. But the mortality rate for humans, 
everywhere, always, at all times, what? It's 100%. Psalmist in Psalm 89, verse 48 asks, What man can live and not see death? Or save himself from the power of the grave? The truth is the vast majority of people in this world are going to make it through the pandemic. Even the great majority of those who contract this disease are going to survive it. However, barring the return of Jesus, none of us will escape this world without tasting what many are so afraid of these days, is death. You know, eventually something's going to get us all. Right? And then what? And then what? That is a conversation to be had. I recently read in an article, I think on the Gospel Coalition website, no one is ready to die who's not entrusting their eternity to the eternal Son of God. The only way to die well is to become hidden with Christ in God so that Christ's life, death, and resurrection become yours. In his death, Christ has borne for us the wrath of God against our sin. He was raised to overcome death, make us partakers of the righteousness which he has obtained for us by his death, raise us up to a new life and offer a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. God graciously offers us the eternal life we forfeited by our union with Adam, original sin, and by our actual transgressions. We can receive God's gift and make it our own in no other way than by faith alone. Speaking in 1866, amid another cholera outbreak, Spurgeon gave this charge to pastors, and he gave it not only to pastors, but to all Christians, if you hear this. He says, and now again is the minister's time, and now is the time for all of you who love souls. So that's, that's ministers, yes, but that's all of us as Christians. At least that's how we're supposed to be, right? Now again is the minister's time. You're the minister. I'm the minister. You're the minister. We're the ministers because now is the time for all of you who love souls. He says, you may see men more alarmed than they are already, and if they should be, mind that you avail yourselves of the opportunity of doing them good. You have the balm of Gilead. When their wounds smart, pour it in. You know of him who died to save. Tell them of him. Lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them that God became man, that man might be lifted to God. Tell them of Calvary and its groans and cries and sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them that there is life for a look at the crucified one. Tell them that he is able to save to the uttermost all them that come unto God by him. Tell them that he is able to save even at the eleventh hour. And say to the dying thief, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Guilt in life. 
fear and death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry, final breath, Jesus commands my life. Oh, that we all would know the power of the resurrection. Our gracious, loving God, this day of great our hearts are stirred by the truth of the gospel. Let us indeed be filled with that hope and save us from despair and deliver us from fear. Do you know we are in awed and trying times? Let us see you at work. Let us endeavor to live for you in the midst of it all. Give us the courage and opportunity hear the good news that we have received as we endeavor to live in the power of the resurrection, not just this day, but every day.